This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let your giving at work, church. And so our in-gathering for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is actually just a few weeks away. It's going to be on December 6th. And you should have received a, a prayer guide. I think they're sitting around. Some are in the pews uh, today. The, the children's shelter uh, that you saw there is actually day one on the, the, the prayer guide. Um, and so be praying. Uh, be looking forward to our, our in-gathering on, on December 6th. Our goal as a church is $65,000 to reach uh, people like the ones that you just saw, precious people, uh, on, the, on, on the screen that we just looked at. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to join together as a church family and that our local labors here are linked to efforts around the world through the International Mission Board. And we, we pray for the children's shelter in Nairobi that we just saw that is supported through our giving. We pray for these precious kids that we just saw. We thank you for the, the new life that is being spread through the gospel that we get to take part in as we send missionaries, as we give to sustain them on the field and to support the, the work that they are doing for the glory of your name. And Lord, we pray that you would work now in this place, that you would fill us with a passion for your fame and renown that would impact not only our community, but that would have a ripple effect for the nations. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're new today, if you're watching for the first time, well, we have been walking through the book of Isaiah. And today, we're going to look at chapters 38 and 39. We're talking about how to finish well. Isaiah 38 and 39. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look... Um, at parts of both of those chapters, and we're going to begin by reading the first eight verses of chapter 38, Isaiah chapter 38, and beginning with verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I am going to add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city. This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I am going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on the stairway of Ahaz go back by 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back the 10 steps it had descended. And now turn to chapter 39 
and let's look at the first eight, look at the eight, eight verses of chapter 30, 39. At that time, Miradoc, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah since he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased with the letters, and he showed the envoys this treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil, and all his armory, and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace and in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked him, What did these men say, and where did they come to you from? Hezekiah replied, they came to me from a distant country, from Babylon. Isaiah asked, and what have they seen in your palace? Hezekiah answered, they've seen everything in my palace. There isn't anything in my treasuries that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of armies. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Now before we dive into chapters 38 and 39, let's recap chapters 36 and 37. So in chapter 36, we saw that the, the Assyrians have invaded Judah they have taken all the fortified cities of Judah, basically, except Jerusalem. And this massive Assyrian army is now right outside of Jerusalem. There was no hope for Hezekiah and his people except for the supernatural intervention of God. Well, in chapter 37, that's exactly what we saw. We saw that Hezekiah prayed that God, for the sake of his own glory, would defend Jerusalem, would protect his people. And we saw that, that God mercifully answered that prayer. What we are not told in chapters 36 and 37 is that at the same time that Hezekiah was facing this military crisis, that he was also facing a health crisis and that he was at the point of death. And that's where we pick it up here at the beginning of chapter 38. So what do we see here? The first thing that we see is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Let's check out verse 1 of chapter 38. It says, In those days... Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Now, in a very real sense, all of us are 
terminal. These bodies that we have now are perishable bodies. They have a limited shelf life. Unless we are alive on the day that Jesus returns, we will die. But on the day that Christ returns, whether we are dead or alive, we are going to be raised and we are going to be raised with glorified, imperishable bodies. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 51 and following. The Apostle Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, if we didn't get new bodies one day when Christ returns, then, then the enemy would still have somewhat of a victory. But, but not only are we going to get new bodies when Christ returns, but they are going to be glorified bodies, imperishable bodies, not subject to sin, suffering, disease, or death. So the enemy has no victory. Look at verses 2 and 3. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So basically, Hezekiah here is just begging God to extend his life, to heal him and to extend his life. And we see God's response in verses 4 and, and following. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I am going to add 15 years to your life. And I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. So God supernaturally intervenes not only to rescue Hezekiah from death, but also to rescue the city of Jerusalem from annihilation. Now, Hezekiah did not deserve this. Jerusalem did not deserve this. This is just the sheer mercy of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I am going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on the stairway of Ahaz go back by 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back the 10 steps it had descended. So just as, as God turns the shadow back 10 steps, it's like God is turning back the clock. And Hezekiah is going to get another 15 years of, of, of life. Now, it's a miracle. 
The whole thing was a miracle. Hezekiah's healing was a miracle. The rescue of Jerusalem was a miracle. Let's think about what miracles really are. You know, because we live in a world where there is just so much sickness and death, we are conditioned to think that sickness and death is just kind of natural. And it is natural in a Genesis 3 world, in a fallen world like the one that we're living in. But, but brothers and sisters, we need to always remember that it is not natural to God's original design. God did not create a world with, with, with sin and sickness and death in it. That was not a part of God's original creation. And it will not be a part of his new creation when Christ returns. And we, we need to always remember that. And you know, we talked about a few weeks ago, sometimes when, when people die, well-meaning well, well people will say things like, well, you know, death is a normal part of life. But that's not what the Bible really teaches. The Bible teaches that death is an enemy. It's an enemy that has been defeated by our risen Savior at, at, at his resurrection, and it will be destroyed when he returns. And, and so, what are miracles? Miracles are signs. They are, they are signs of the, of, of the new creation that is coming. I love what uh, the theologian Jürgen Moltmann says. He says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. In other words, things like healings, other miracles, are, they're glimpses into the new creation that Jesus is going to bring about when he returns, when, as J.R.R. Tolkien said, everything sad is going to come untrue. The mercy of God. The second thing that we see here is the perspective of Hezekiah. What's, what's Hezekiah's take on all of this as it's going on? Let's look at verses nine through 11 of chapter 38. A poem by King Hezekiah of Judah after he had been sick and had recovered from his illness. I said, in the prime of my life, I must go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will never see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will not look on humanity any longer with the inhabitants of what is passing away. So, Hezekiah is writing this poem about what his perspective was when he was sick. And as you can see here, this perspective that Hezekiah had was, was far bleaker than what we would have as, as, as New Covenant believers, right? When the Old Testament talks about Sheol, as Hezekiah does here, it's not... It's not exactly talking about hell, but it's not talking about heaven either. It's talking about the, the place of the dead. And so Hezekiah's view of, of life after death is, is murky 
at, at, at best. It's, 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 not, it's not like ours. He, he talks here in, in verse 11 about uh, death, the sort of, um, uh, the departure from the, the, the land of, of the living, you know, as if he's going to the place of the dead. As, as, as followers of Christ, we, we have a different take on this. I'll never forget that when the golfer Payne Stewart passed away in, in 1999, Payne Stewart had just won the U.S. Open just a few months before. It was the pinnacle moment of his career. And in October of, of 1999, just a few months after he won the U.S. Open, he was in a, a private jet and the, the, they lost cabin pressure on the jet. And so he and the entire crew, everybody who was on board, just, just quietly expired, died. And the plane continued to fly on autopilot across the country until it ran out of fuel and crashed in the Dakotas. But Payne Stewart had come to Christ a couple of years before he passed away. And I'll never forget uh, seeing his, his funeral on, on TV and, and something that uh, one of his friends said during that funeral service. He said he and Payne would all, often talk about the fact after he became a believer that when they would talk about what death really is, they said, you know what? Death is, is, not, is not really leaving the land of the living and going to the land of the dying. For the, for the believer, death is leaving the land of the dying. <laughs> and we are headed to the land of the living. It's very different than Hezekiah's perspective here, isn't it? Now look at what he says in, in verse 12 as he's reflecting on the, the meaning of life and death. He says, my dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. I have rolled up my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. By nightfall, you make an end of me. So these are images that picture the, the fragility and the brevity of life. Because shepherds would, would, would make their tents in areas where their flocks could feed on the grass. But when the, when the flocks had, had eaten all the grass, those shepherds would just take up their tents and just in, 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 you know, in, a, in a moment and just move, gone. He says that's the way life is. James says life is, our, our lives are like a vapor. He says it's like a, it's like a, 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 a weaver with, with her loom. And, and you pass by day after day and this weaver is working with the same piece of cloth and you see her doing this and then one day she just finishes with that and, and she's done with it and she, she tosses that roll away. Hezekiah says that's, 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 the, that's the brevity of life. That's the fragility of, of, of life. The psalmist says in Psalm 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We get this one very brief life to make a difference, to make an impact for Christ. Look at verses 16 and 17. We see more of his perspective here. This is after he was healed. He says, you have restored me to health 
and let me live. Indeed, it was for my own well-being that I had such intense bitterness. In other words, Hezekiah is saying here that, that had it not been for the crisis that I went through with my health and with this military crisis, had it not been for that, I would, not, I would not have had the perspective that you've given me. It was for my own well-being that I went through this, this bitter time. I, I think about the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn who came to Christ in a Russian gulag, a Soviet gulag in, in prison. It was there that he met Jesus And later on, reflecting on his experience, Solzhenitsyn said, bless you, prison. Bless you for being in my life. For there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. And as we saw last week in chapter 37, through this whole experience, Hezekiah's soul has matured. He's grown in his faith. What do we see in chapter 37? Hezekiah was all about the glory of God, right? He prays this incredibly God-centered prayer that, that, that God, for the sake of his renown, for the sake of his name, his reputation, God's name, God's reputation, God's renown, that, I, that, that God would, would spare Jerusalem. I mean, I mean, in chapter 37, Hezekiah was passionate for the glory of God. It's like he had gotten outside of himself, and it was all about God and God's glory. But he did not finish well. Hezekiah did not finish well. And that's the third thing that we see here is the folly of Hezekiah. And we see that in chapter 39. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah since he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Now, don't think he's doing this out of the goodness of his heart, okay? The king of Babylon is not doing this because he's truly glad that Hezekiah has recovered. It is not some gesture of, of goodwill. This is all about politics. It's about political intrigue. At this point in time, Babylon was a province of Assyria. But the king of Babylon had far, far, far greater designs than to merely be an Assyrian province. What he wants to do is cultivate Hezekiah as an ally and a future victim. (laughs) And so he sends these envoys to Hezekiah, and they play Hezekiah like a violin. They come and they present these letters and this, 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 this gift, and they want to flatter him, and it works. It works. Look at verse 2. 
Hezekiah was pleased with the letters, and he showed the envoys his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil, and all his armory, and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace, and in all his realm, that Hezekiah did not show them. This just shows our our how pathetic our pride can be. How much in our pride we long for human recognition, human applause, human approval. Hezekiah is like, wow, these guys are coming all the way from Babylon just to gush over me and all of my possessions. And so he takes them through everything, right? Takes them through the armory, takes them through the treasury. I mean, he shows all of it because he's just thinking, wow, I'm a, I'm a big deal. And, and the whole time that he's taking them through this tour and showing them everything that he has, the whole time that these Babylonian envoys are just ooing and aahing over all of Hezekiah's possession. You know what they're doing? They're taking a mental inventory of all the loot that they are one day going to take back to Babylon. Think of the missed opportunity that this is to glorify God. I mean, Hezekiah could have told these, these, pagan, these pagan envoys, he could have told them, you know what? Apart from God, I have nothing. Apart from him, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be alive had God not healed me. I, we, we, Jerusalem wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have anything. The Assyrians would have taken it all. It was only because of the gracious intervention of the true and living God that we are even here. All glory be to God. He could have said that. He doesn't say any of that. He's just basking in these human accolades, right? And think about this. This is the same guy that, that was all about God's glory in chapter 37, right? I mean, we saw it last week. Hezekiah is consumed with the glory of God, and now he's just consumed with himself. What does that tell us? How easy it is for all of us to drift. To drift spiritually. We are hardwired to drift from God. And so what must we do? Fight it. Fight it. Fight it every day of your life. We have to wake up in the morning and fight not to drift from God because our default mode is to drift. I love what John Piper says. He says our, our first priority when we wake up every day is to get ourselves happy and satisfied in Jesus because if we're not happy and satisfied in Jesus, we're gonna seek satisfaction and happiness in sin. Verses three and four. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked him, 
What did these men say? And where did they come to you from? Hezekiah replied, they came to me from a distant country from Babylon. Isaiah asked, what have they seen in your palace? Hezekiah answered, they've seen everything in my palace. There isn't anything in my treasuries that I didn't show them. This guy is blase about it. He's like, sure, show them everything. What about it? And Isaiah answers in verses five and six. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of armies. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Isaiah says, you showed, you showed it all, and they're going to one day take it all. Every bit of it. You know, there's a, there's a message here for us about stewardship too. There is not, there is not one dollar that you possess. There is not one possession that you have that was not given to you by God. You say, well, you know, I used my brain and I worked hard to earn that money. Really, who gave you your brain? Who gave you the health and strength to work? Who, who was it that enabled you to be, what, to be born in America with the opportunities that we have instead of on the streets of Nairobi like the kids that we saw earlier in the video? Who woke you up this morning? Who gives you breath in your lungs? Who makes your heart beat? We, we are nothing and we have nothing apart from the grace of God. And so therefore, we're to be stewards of what he has given to us. Look at verses 7 and 8. Isaiah continues to tell Hezekiah what the future is going to bring. He says, some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Think about the breathtaking selfishness of that statement. Hezekiah has just been told that his, his own descendants are basically going to lick the boots of the Babylonians. And he says, but you know what? That's, in the, that's way off in the future. I'm going to die at peace in my bed, in my palace. There will be security during my lifetime. Wow. Wow. And listen, Hezekiah was one of the good kings. <laughs> Hezekiah was one of the good kings of Judah. And what does that tell us? It tells us this. We need a greater king. <laughs> we need a king like Jesus. 
Let's pray. And Lord, we are thankful that we have such a king. A king who is not subject to human pride and selfishness, but a king who lived the perfect life that we can never live and died the death for sinners that we could not die. And we thank you that through trust in him, that his perfect righteousness is credited to us and that we can be forgiven and free. Help us to, to, to live our lives under your kingship. We are, Lord, we are so prone to drift. We are so prone to wander. Give us the grace to fight the good fight every day, to stay close to you, and to live under your kingship for your glory. And make us your witnesses to go forth and to spread this good news. And Lord, make us good stewards of our resources to send others who can do so in, in places where we cannot go. We thank you for the incredible opportunity that you've given us to be a part of this drama of redemption and to live life with Jesus as our King. And we pray in his name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 